The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning, Park Church. Today's scripture reading is from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Margie. Hello, Park Church. Uh, My name is Chris, one of the pastors here at the church, and I hope you're doing well. I just want to say I hope you had a great Christmas, even though this year's celebration was probably a little bit different than you've had in the past. I'm just hoping that you had a great Christmas. I'm happy to be here worshiping with you today and having the opportunity to open up God's word with you uh, today. In just a few minutes, we're going to be looking at Revelation 21 verses 1 through 6, as you just heard read. And so hold your place there and we'll get into that in just a minute. But for the past month, we've been in an Advent series that we called Echoes of a Voice. And the concept behind that series is the idea that all human beings have a common longings and desires. And some of those that we looked at were uh, that we have a longing for justice, right? We have hunger for relationships. We're we're all on a quest for spirituality. uh, and, And we all delight in beauty. And we've been saying all along in this series that that these longings and desires actually are, are a common experience for all human beings and that they point to the reality that we've all been created in the image of God. Uh, and, and these longings are an echo of that common origin. Uh, they're, they're God calling us back to Himself, They're a reminder that there's more to this life than just what we can see. And the fact that these longings and desires are never perfectly satisfied in this life, it's intended to remind us that there's only one who can and will ultimately satisfy the longings of our hearts. Um, C.S. Lewis probably said this best. So this is a well-known quote uh, from his book, Mere Christianity. Lewis said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, 
The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. In that, that other world that Lewis talks about, and that's what I want to talk about today. That's what we see in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. And, and that world is really this world remade. That, that's the good news. It's not somewhere else. It's this world remade. You see, as Christians, we believe, according to the scriptures, that Jesus is going to come back again. And when he does, he's going to make all things that are wrong right. He's going to renew the world. And in that moment, all our longings all our desires will be fully satisfied in his presence. So if you would, I'll have your Bibles open to Revelation 21 verses 1 through 6. Um, from this passage, I want to answer a question today. We've said that when Christ returns, he's going to make all things that are wrong right. He's going to fully satisfy all those longings, all those desires we have in our hearts and our souls. So the question is, how will God ultimately fulfill all our longings and desires in the future? How's he gonna do it? We've been hearing about that for a month. So, so how is he going to do that? And we see that in Revelation chapter 21. And first, I just want you to see the way that God's gonna do that, the way that God is gonna make all things that are wrong, make them right, the way he's gonna satisfy those longings and desires in our own souls is this is that God is going to dwell with his people. You see that in verses one through three of Revelation chapter 21. Let's read that together again. Revelation 21, verses one through three. This is the apostle John who was given a vision by God of the future. It says, then I saw, notice, a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. That one, hang on to that. We're going to come back to that. That freaks me out a little bit, but it's okay. We'll come back to that. Uh, verse two, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And here you go, verse three, look at this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, mankind. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Let's, let's hear that again, this, the second half of verse three, just one more time. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with mankind. He will dwell with them, they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Just let that sink in. This is the future we have with God in the world. This, by the way, has always been God's goal. This, is, this has always been God's desire. He created human beings to be in relationship with them not because he needed to be in relationship with them, not because he was lonely in any way, but rather because he wanted to share his love with his creation. And, and he created human beings in such a way that, that they could enter into a relationship with him and experience his love. And the fall 
Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, the fall in the garden, it altered temporarily how God dwells with human beings uh, because of their sin, but it didn't undo God's ultimate goal, God's ultimate desire of dwelling with his people. And you can actually trace the timeline of the Bible with God making ways to dwell with his people. If you want to follow with me, look at the very beginning of the Bible. What does God do to dwell with his people so that he could be with Adam and Eve? He created a garden, right? The original temple was a garden. And God placed the man and the woman in the garden. And the Bible says that he would come and walk with them in the cool of the day. And then Later, as God delivered uh, his people out of slavery in Egypt and promises to deliver them into a promised land and give them their own land full of blessing and joy, they, they reject in a sense, they, they don't have faith to enter in, but that doesn't keep God from saying, hey, I wanna be with my people. I created human beings to dwell with them. And so he instructs them to create a, a tabernacle, basically a glorified tent that they could carry around in their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Why? So that God had a place where he could fill and dwell and be in a sense with his people. And then when they finally entered into the promised land and uh, they're in Jerusalem and God said, now I want you to build a temple for me where I'm going to dwell a permanent structure where I will dwell with you, the temple. And then the scriptures tell us Jesus came. And John 1 said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word there is tabernacled. He, he dwelt among us. God came to dwell. And that did away with the need for a temple because now the reality had come. God had come in the flesh. And then when Jesus said, hey, it's better for me to leave you after his resurrection, said to his disciples, I'm gonna leave you, but don't worry. I'm gonna be with you through my spirit and he's gonna indwell you. And guess what you're gonna become? You now, the church, individual believers and the church corporately, you are now the temple of God. And that's where we stand right now in, in the timeline of scripture in that already not yet tension uh, between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus, we are the temple. But thank God there's coming a day where Christ is gonna return and he's gonna make the entire world his temple. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth so that he can dwell with his people. That's the timeline of the Bible. God making a way to dwell with his people. Now, notice what God does to make it possible for him to dwell with his people. Back in verse one, he creates a new dwelling place. Look at that in verse one. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. All right, now, there's some debate about this, but theologians will say probably the best way of understanding this new heaven and new earth is not that this world and this earth and creation is, is destroyed and done away with and then he creates a brand new world. Probably the best way to understand it is that when Christ returns, he renews the world as it was. If you remember back to Genesis, when God created the world, he said it was good, right? So he loves this world as it is, this physical place. He loves it as it is. Uh, it's been marred by sin. It's not what he intended it to be, but, but when he returns, he's gonna restore it back to what he intended. 
The promise in the Old Testament and the New Testament is that Jesus is coming here to establish and consummate his kingdom. But it gets a little weird because it goes on to say that there was no more sea. And for somebody who uh, spent about 20 years in Southern California and loves the ocean and loves the beach, I really needed to dive into that many years ago. Like, what is this talking about? I like the ocean. I thought God said the ocean is good after he created it. What's this talking about? There is no more sea. Remember this. It's important when you are reading and meditating on the book of Revelation. Revelation is a highly symbolic book, correct? We know this. It's full of images, metaphors that are communicating truth. And so if we look back in Revelation, think back to Revelation 13, the beast who blasphemed God and made war on the saints had come out of the what? The sea, right? And when we understand that in the ancient world, people viewed the sea as a place of chaos and destruction. So probably what's being communicated here is this, that when Jesus returns, he'll rid the world of all chaos, all destruction. Thank God, 2020 will be no more someday. There'll be no more room for rebellion against him in his kingdom. All the sources of sin, all the, the places where sin originates will be removed forever. Amen? Isn't that good news? That's what Jesus is going to do so that he can dwell with his people. A couple other passages that are really, really helpful. I'm just going to read through them just so you can hear them, but you might want to write the reference down and study them another time. Revela or Romans, I'm sorry, Romans 8, verses 18 through 23. And then 2 Peter 3, verses 10 and 13. Let me just read those, and then you can hear it at least. Just give us a little more insight into what Christ is going to do when he returns. Romans 8. Paul says to the church in Rome, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, right? Paul's promising, hey, listen, life's hard, life's difficult, we suffer in this world, but listen, there's better things coming. God's coming back to recreate the world. For the creation waits. Notice our own suffering, now he moves into creation itself. For the creation, the world waits in eager expectation. Here you have this, we have longings, we have desires as human beings, but we also see that the creation itself has longings and desires and, and it's waiting with eager expectation for what? Well, notice what it says, for the, cre for, for the children of God to be revealed. The creation is waiting for Jesus to return and all who are in Christ to be renewed, right? To be, to be made new, to experience resurrection, our resurrection bodies and, and live eternally with him. The creation is waiting for that. Why? Because the creation knows that when Christ returns and we are remade, the creation itself is gonna be remade. So, so maybe a, the best way of understanding this new heavens and new earth is just like we will be remade. We will be made new. We will be resurrected. So will this world, his creation. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. The creation didn't sin, humans sinned. But creation bears the weight of that. But by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, notice that creation, look at this, itself 
will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So the same freedom and glory we're going to experience in, as renewed people in the new heavens and, earth, and the earth, so will the creation. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Right, so, so here Paul is showing, just like we are groaning and longing for Christ to return and make everything new, so is the creation. So the moment that we are renewed, the creation itself will be made new. Second Peter 3, uh, verses 10 and 13. Peter says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. This is again referring to the day of the Lord is the second coming of Christ. When he returns, it's gonna, it's gonna happen like a thief, meaning you're not gonna know when. So if people start giving you dates, run, like don't listen to them. Jesus said, nobody knows, okay, when he's gonna return, but it's gonna be like a thief, unexpected, when we're not ready. And at that moment, it says the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare, all right? So, so that sounds like, well, what, it's being destroyed and then something else is gonna come. But if we understand the language of the Bible, so often in the Bible when fire is used, it's referring to a purification, right? So it goes back to Romans 8, goes back to what we've seen in Revelation 21, that when Christ returns, he's going to renew. So just like gold is refined by fire and the impurities rise to the top and they're scraped away so that what you have left is pure gold, Peter is saying, and then the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare, right? All, all the sin, all that's going to be revealed. It's going to be made clear and obvious. And then Christ is going to scrape that away. And then verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So when Jesus returns, what's he going to do? He's going to purify the creation that is here already in such a way that it's new. And then verse 4, you'll see in Revelation 21, verse 4, for the former things, um, some translations will say the old order of things have passed away a world that is marred and marked by sin and injustice and hatred and greed, it's gonna be done away with and it's gonna be made new. Now, notice what God does after he prepares the world for his presence. What's it, what does he do? We'll keep back again in Revelation 21. He places his city in the middle of his world. So he can now dwell in the city with his people. Look at verse two. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And notice the language. It's, it's really important. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. See, the, the catch is that the, the holy city, this new Jerusalem, is actually the church. We see that language all through the New Testament. The, refer, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ, the bride of the Lamb. And it's made up of all people groups, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And we know this is the church. Look at over at uh, verses 9 and 10. 
Look at verse 9. It says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride. I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Again, we know according to the Bible, that's the church. In verse 10, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me what? Look what it says. The holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. What God is going to do is he's going to prepare the world for his people to dwell in and he could be with them for eternity. Again, look at verse 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Good news, amen? Yeah. So the question we started with is this, how will God ultimately fulfill all our longings in the future? How is he gonna do that? Well, the first part of the answer to that question is we see in Revelation 21, one through three. He's going to fulfill all our longings by dwelling with us. His presence is what is going to bring us fulfillment. So then as a result, God dwelling with his people through his very presence among us, our longings will be satisfied. That's what we see in the rest of Revelation 21. So let's go back to those longings that we talked about this last month in our Advent series. Uh, one was a hunger for relationship. Well, where do we see that being fulfilled? Remember, we were created to be in relationship with God and we were created to be in relationship with others. Uh, and we can, we can do that, but it's, it's not perfect. It's not exactly how God intended to be because of our own sin. So notice verse three, it's fulfilled and satisfied when Christ returns. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with mankind. There it is. God, this thing we're longing for, to be in relationship with the God who made us, will be fully satisfied when Christ returns. God is with man. He will dwell with them. So there's God and mankind, but then there's mankind together in perfect harmony, perfect relationship. What we're longing for in this world will be fulfilled when Christ returns. He'll be, he'll dwell with them. They, again, communal living, communal relationship. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So that, that hunger for relationship is satisfied, will be satisfied when Christ returns. We were created for relationship with God and others, and that will be eternally satisfied when Jesus returns. Uh, another longing we mentioned was the longing for justice. That there's something in us Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter if you're a human being, we long for justice and we know that the world's broken. We know that things aren't right and we have a longing for things to be made right. Well, look at verse four. When Christ returns, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All the brokenness, all the sin, all the hurt, all the injustice in the world that causes all of the anguish that we experience and we see happening in the world, done away with and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning or crying nor pain. Notice, for the former things have passed away. 
that old order of injustice and sin and brokenness is done away with because Christ is here. God's presence is here. And he's not going to dwell in a place that is not known for justice. Second Peter 3.13 again, Peter said it like this, according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. And look at this, in which righteousness dwells. God's righteousness and God's justice go hand in hand. And in the new heavens and the new earth, that longing that we all have will be satisfied because God will be with his people. And then uh, we talked about this, this longing or this quest for spirituality. Well, ultimately what that is, is, is this longing to experience the divine in our daily lives, right? We wanna experience God. We, we know innately that there's something beyond this world. It's a longing to be with God, is to know God, to experience God. And when Jesus returns and God dwells with his people, we're told in Revelation 22, 4, we'll actually see him face to face. So that longing, that desire to, to experience God on a daily basis is what the new heavens and new earth is going to be all about. And then lastly, the last desire or, or longing we talked about was this delight in beauty, this longing for beauty. Well, just read Revelation 21 and 22. See what the new, new heavens and new earth are going to be about, right? We're going to be surrounded by beauty, starting with God. God is going to be the most beautiful object in the new heavens and new earth. Revelation gives us different images in Revelation 4 and Revelation 7 of the throne room of God and, and just what the presence of God is like. Beauty all around us, new heavens, new earth will be beautiful. There's coming a day when all those longings and many more will be eternally satisfied in the presence of God in a new creation with the family of God from the entire world throughout all history forever. So here's my hope, I just let you know. My hope, my prayer is that, is that these truths have encouraged you, have given you hope. Let's be honest, this has been a brutal year. This has been a tough year. At times we've all despaired and if we're honest, many of us have doubted the goodness and wisdom of God this past year. So I pray that these promises of a better eternal future lift up your soul, lift up your eyes, remind you that because the tomb is empty, because the tomb is empty, Jesus was raised on the third day and that he is currently ruling and reigning in heaven and all of these promises will come to pass because he is alive. So I want to end with another question. Started with a question, I want to end with a question. Here's the question. Why does God give us this information? Have you, have you ever asked that? Like, what good does that do me right now? I live in a broken, fallen world. Life's jacked up. We had 2020. It's like, what? What good does it do me now to know about these things? What is it meant to do for us to know about what is coming? How should it affect our lives right now, not just in the future? Like God is not just giving us information for our heads to tell us about the future 
and that it would have no effect on us here and now. He tells us these things so that it actually affects how we live now, not just in the future. So let me just give you a few ways that these truths and reality can can affect our hearts and our minds and impact how we live our lives right here and right now in the world that we find ourselves in, in that, in that tension of the already, not yet, right? One, we, we are told these things to encourage us. I don't know about you, but I need encouragement pretty much every day. Th- these are given to us to encourage us uh, Revelation 21, five and six. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, look at this. I am making all things new. I am doing it right now. Like I'm in process of doing all of these things. It says good is done. And also he said, write this down for these words are, listen to this, trustworthy and true. These things you're hearing, they are trustworthy and true. You can believe them. You can trust them. The tomb is empty. Jesus is reigning. He, he fulfilled that promise. He'll fulfill the promise to come back. And he said to me, it is done. This is done already in God's timeline. It's as if this is already done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Be encouraged, this is true. This is what's coming. And in a sense, it already has in our hearts as we are part of the new creation. Uh, Paul tells the church in Thessalonians, or Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, and then chapter 5, 11. Therefore, as he's talking about the return of Christ, for, for some of us, we grew up in Christian traditions where that was a scary subject and it was never meant to be scary for the people of God. The return of Jesus should make us celebrate and, 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 and long for his, recoming, his return. So Paul says, hey, listen, don't be scared by this subject. He says, so therefore encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Be encouraged that Christ is returning. Be encouraged that he's going to make all things that are wrong. He's going to make them right. Be encouraged that there's coming a day where the longings, desires of your soul can be fully satisfied in his presence. He goes on in chapter 5, verse 11. So therefore, encourage one another. Look at this. And build one another up just as you're doing. So this is meant to encourage us and build up our faith. Uh, Another reason he gives these to us, these truths to us, is to inspire us to live out of those realities of the new creation now. Like there's something about what life will be in the new heavens and new earth that is meant to kind of fold back into this life, into the world as it is now, and encourage us to live those realities out of our life right now by his grace. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is God's people, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you are in Christ, guess what? The new creation, in a sense, has already come. You are part of it if you've been born again by God's grace. The new creation has already come. That's uh, one translation that the NIV translates it this way. Anyone who is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has passed away. Do you see the same language? This is revelation language. The old order of things, the old has passed away. 
The new has come and all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. We are given us these truths to inspire us to live those new heavens, new earth realities right here and right now. If you are in Christ by God's grace, through faith in the work of Jesus Christ and, and what he did 2,000 years ago, that new creation has already come in you. You are called to a new way of life now, new creation life. This is what Jesus inaugurated in his first coming and will consummate in his second coming. Again, Peter, 2 Peter 3, 11 to 13. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, talking about uh, the remaking of the world, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? See how it ought to affect you? If you believe these things, like, it ought to affect our, our living, godliness and holiness as we wait for and we're hastening the coming of the day of God. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So if righteousness dwells in that new world, we're to live into that now in our personal lives and in the world around us. And then lastly, how should these truths about our future and the future of the world impact our lives right here, right now? We've been given these truths to challenge us to invite people into a relationship with God through Jesus. What, what understanding and knowing about the new creation ought to do is make you want as many people as possible to be there. Does that make sense? If your heart's been transformed by the grace of God, you want as many people as possible to experience that grace. Revelation chapter seven, verses nine and 10. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne, before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. This is the future reality. People from every nation, every language, every ethnicity around the throne of God as the people of God, living with God and each other in perfect harmony forever. And we have a part to play in that reality now. It's one of the reasons we're still here. Paul says in Romans 10, this, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word about Christ. And then he goes on to say, and how are they gonna hear if we don't share it with them? 2 Corinthians 5, 18, all this salvation is from God who through Christ reconciles us to himself. And then after we've been reconciled, it goes on to say, he's also given us the ministry of reconciliation. So we've been reconciled to reconcile. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, verse 20 says. We are ambassadors of Christ. We've been given a message. And that is... It's the same as God making his appeal through us. That's what Paul says. So God's plan is to work through people who have been reconciled to him through his son, Jesus, to help others be reconciled to him. 
And, and one of the reasons God shared with us what our future looks like in the new heavens and the new earth and the new creation is so that we would join with him in that ministry of reconciliation and that ministry of reconciling the world to himself now. Let me just ask this. Can you think of anything better or more eternally significant to give your life to? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this section of the Bible. God, it is so encouraging to know what is our future, what you have planned for us, what you have planned for the world. God, it is so encouraging to know that you are not gonna leave the world as it is, marred and ruined by sin, that there's coming a day where your son, Jesus, will return and make everything new. It'll be a world where all the longings of our hearts right now will be absolutely fully satisfied eternally in your presence. God, we thank you for, for these words. We thank you that we know they're faithful and true because your promise uh, that, that your son would not remain in the tomb, that death would not have the final say, that he would be raised from the dead, victorious over Satan and sin and death. That reality became true. And because that reality is true, all of these other realities will be true as well. So God, thank you for that. We hold on to you. We hold on to those truths. But God, we don't want that, that just to be information in our head. God, we want that to get into our hearts and transform how we live our lives right here and right now for your glory and the good of the world. But God, that's something only your, your spirit can do. So Holy Spirit, would you take your word and, and drive it deep into our hearts? Give us new affections. Transform us more and more into the image of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.